Welcome to Deep Well Astrology. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and somatic educator. And in this podcast, we'll explore how astrology can illuminate our embodied consciousness and nourish our soul. Welcome to Deep Well Astrology Podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and also a rolfer and a somatic educator. So, special interest of astrology in the human body. By profession, I work with the human body. And I'm here and happy to be sharing that we are well over the 50-episode mark of this Deep Well Astrology Podcast. This podcast got started in August 2021 while I was in my second year of astrology studies with MISPA, the Mercury Internet School of Psychological Astrology, with John Green. I've loved my time with MISPA, learning and meeting personally some of the tutors and astrologers. The MISPA school spoke to me as a psychologically interested astrologer, even though I now also follow some of the contemporary American uh, trend of traditional or Hellenistic astrology revival. I love and value that as well. But there's just something about that, um, I will say, psychological astrology based in some of the Jungian studies that always spoke to me, especially as a person who studied psychology and sociology as an undergraduate student. So that's just kind of my leaning in general. In that MISPA school, uh, I studied with John Green. And if you are somebody who reads astrology literature, kind of goes back, that school was originally the Center for Psychological Astrology. And Liz Green was one of the primary tutors. I think the founder, I could be wrong because I was not involved in the school at that time. But if you read any of Liz Green's work, you kind of get the sense or this idea. She's written so much um, of the lineage of that school. So that's just a little bit more on me during this giving and receiving podcast episode. And a little brief announcement as well. Uh, As always, I offer individual and couples readings. I also co-teach a monthly astrology class based in zodiacal seasons, and that's over at kindredexplorer.com. So kindredexplorer.com is the monthly astrology group that anyone anywhere can join because it is a virtual class in the wintertime. And my personal readings can be found at my website. It's alisondisler.com. And you'll also see the body work and other offerings that I have in the community. So... With that being said, here we are on Thursday, December 8th. It's Bodhi Day, or a celebration of Buddha's Enlightenment Day. I always remember that, having a background also in Zen Buddhism. And it's also the day this year of the Gemini full moon. In essence, then, I think this theme of fullness and satiation or contentment could be in the cards for today. So this fullness, this brimmingness, this not starting anything new, but coming to culmination. We hope in the spirit of the full moon today, or perhaps this is only in our dreams. So hello again, Mars. And also hello again, Neptune and Jupiter conjunction. Today, the sun is around 16 degrees Sagittarius. The moon, 16 degrees Gemini, conjunct Mars retrograde, also in Gemini. 
So you may dream of this being a full, complete, quiet day. But I imagine there's other things in the cards and the stars, especially for those of us who may have important placements in the middle of any mutable signs. So Gemini, Sagittarius, kind of look and see what is there for you especially. But then we can also hop over to that Pisces-Virgo axis line and anyone with things in the middle of that will also be receiving a squares from all of this Mars, Moon, and Sun action. I think the most basic of this teaching is found in that Gemini Sag axis in your chart. So what you can do is just look at what houses that straddles for you and then look at the themes of those houses. For example, for me, the Gemini Sagittarius axis goes across the second and the eighth house for me, second and eighth house themes. I just briefly think of this axis line as gain and loss or the material and immaterial axis, or the line of personal value and others' value. Whichever Gemini is in for you, so check that house. That's where Mars is scattering action potential or scrambling energy. And I like the images of scattering or scrambling or rearranging, because Mars is like an action potential, and it's doing energy. So it's just, it's primarily based to engage in doing and action and motivation. And um, what I think about Mars and Gemini is that Gemini is an air-based mutable sign with signifiers and themes such as communication, networking, and information, among others. Mars retrograde is an indicator that forward, clear, and Precise action may feel more challenging than normal or thwarted or aggressive. And broad advice, I mean, really broad advice, newspaper advice might be avoid action at this time, cool your jets, or even abstain if possible from forward movement, or at least uh, put yourself in the position for dealing with disappointment and when things get scattered. I wouldn't suggest taking large actions in the elements of this house right now, if possible, like lay low or find a way for Mars to scatter or confuse in the least troublesome way for you. So it could be used. It doesn't have to be something that's you're vulnerable towards. Um, you could use it in a way if you know how Mars is working in the chart. And um, fundamentally, perhaps this is just simply managing your expectations around what you think and hope to get done, especially in this holiday season for many. Um, so action potential may not be what you had hoped it to be. And while inspiration or dreams might be high, thanks to Jupiter and Neptune conjunct in Pisces, so that could be possible, like false beliefs or thinking you can do more than you actually can or having really high hopes for something and then they're dashed. I think the reality is, is that we may get less done and that we may have to negotiate between the reality we have in our dreams and the reality that is actually in front of us. As always, how we manage the situation is up to us. So the more you know your chart and the more you know how the planets work for you in your chart and internally what you have friendship with and aversion towards, you can kind of, you can start to manage your expectations, even though this isn't about controlling reality. It's it's thinking of possibilities and then managing and, and almost studying 
what you actually end up with. So last week also in celebration of moving through this mutable Sagittarius season and towards Capricorn, I started this giving and receiving episode for a Venus in Capricorn. And we're now on the Capricorn Cancer axis line. Yesterday, Mercury moved into Capricorn and next week, so will Venus. So we've leaned into a Venus in Capricorn last week, and you might like to go back and visit that. So this week, we're going to tend towards the opposite or the other end of the axis line. And this is a Venus in Cancer. This is, you know, a water sign, first of all. But what are some thoughts that you initially have about the Capricorn Cancer axis line? And think about it, if you can, on that axis line as a relationship. So things that are similar about Capricorn and Cancer, things that are different. What do you know about them? I've been thinking, excuse me, about a name for this axis line, this Capricorn Cancer axis line for a while. And it's still in the works and it may well change. But recently, I've been thinking of this axis line as the axis of status in stewardship. Status in stewardship. And of all of the themes, when I think of Capricorn, I think of words like responsibility and building. But in working with the word status as a neutral word, that means to me knowing where one is and being seen as being there, aware, grounded, planted, and in an earth-based way, solid. That's status, knowing your status, where you are. On the other end of the axis, I like the word stewardship, even though cancer evokes other words for me too, like nurturance and lineage. Stewardship for me implies attending capacity that is centered in nurturance, both the visible and the invisible watery aspects of cultivation. So I like the axis of status in stewardship because we can see the principle of one contained in the other. So take a moment just to sit with those words, status and stewardship and see if you can find a relationship between the two. So I'd be interested in what you came up with, stewardship and status. So not only do I think we can see the principle of one contained in the other, but we can also potentially see how one principle can augment or support the other. And I think this is how axis lines in a chart work. We are trained to see things as black or white, right or wrong. But axis line implies that we can hew one of the archetypes into the other, or we can hew one of the other archetypes into the other. So it goes both ways. So, for example, knowing status or one's place on this earth can create a foundation for stewardship, grounded stewardship. That's a lot different than just being compelled or driven to nurture or steward from an ungrounded, more emotionally turbulent place. It's very different. And then also, other way around, 
knowing how to steward creates a more flexible container and posture for status. So it brings the water element into the earth. If we think of somebody or someone with high responsibility and high status without a capacity to steward or nurture, this is where we start to get power and status being out of humanity's interest because we don't have the undertone of that stewardship. So that's why I like status and stewardship because the Cancer Capricorn axis is a powerful axis and what one way that they're similar is that they're both cardinal catalyzing or initiatory signs. Capricorn's element, however, is earth and Cancer's element is water. Last week we looked at some general principles of earth as an element. So right away, we might start to look at cancer with starting with the general water principles. So what are some principles of water, the element? Water as an element is about what's underneath the surface. It's about depth. It's about flow. It's about movement. And like air, water is a shared or collective element. It flows. It shares. It changes shape. Water is typically correlated with the emotional plane. And by correlated, it's like how air is correlated with this idea of rationality or the mind. In tarot, we see that represented um, in the symbols. So air, swords, mental plane. So this idea of water being correlated with the feeling plane, the emotional plane, and in tarot, the cups. Converse to air, water has more to do with the undercurrents and things unsaid. And it is of the feeling or feeling into realm. And air is more about things that are said in communication. And with water as an element, this can sometimes be described as nonverbal. But I think another way of saying this is impressionistic because words may be present, but they're not always as linear or rational or cognate as the element of air. Impressionistic, metaphorical, and atemporal are all qualities of water. Water and earth, too, have a relationship because water becomes most useful when it has a relationship with a container. Like water is useful for hydrating us when it's served in a cup. We can drink out of you know, a big body of water too, but it's really efficient in a container, in a cup. And even a river flows in relationship with its river bank. If the water goes over the river bank, we're starting to see things like flooding and that relationship of water and earth gets a little out of balance. So can you think of other water-earth partnerships elementally? And if you can really think into this, you can also see how this could translate into cooperation between Capricorn and Cancer or any earth sign and water sign. Another way to think about the element of water in comparison to earth is that earth is centered in the tactile here and now. It's in the material realm, whereas water is more atemporal and it is able to flow through space and time. Water can resonate and flow and thread through the past, present and future. And it can also feel 
all of those time periods within each other. So in the present moment, witnessing the past and also the future. And I like this image when I think of a Venus in Cancer, because I think about the Cancerian archetype as being connected or entwined with the reality of past, present, and future all at once. Or the notion of the past being present in the now, and the now being important to the future, um, and, and remembering that, and being flexible enough to be able to hold different elements of time in the present moment. To say this simply, we might say that a Cancerian archetype is aware of lineage or cycles of life and death. One simple image for the Cancerian archetype is the crab, which is a shelled creature that never approaches anything quite head on. Its mode of movement is indirect. So already, can you visualize how this may apply to a Venus in Cancer? And just kind of put it up to other Venuses. So if you have like a Venus in Aries, which desires directness and um, quickness and being on the forefront and being very clear, and you meet up with a Venus in Cancer who may, at some sense, on the inside, value certain things, but their mode of operation is more atemporal and indirect. You can see how simple differences like that can get really augmented, and it's just a different energy. And remember, Venus is about the principle of desire and what we want. And we've all got Venus somewhere in our charts, and it's in a sign. And it's somewhere in our charts living in a house. And a house is going to color the themes about our desire and our wants and what we need to feed in our life to keep that Venus alive, to keep that desire and that important aspect of our psyche uh, integrated with the rest of us. It needs support. We need to keep that balance or we get the choice to keep that balance or not and acknowledge it. We can get out of balance in any archetypal planetary way, but what I found when I do not recognize or nourish my Venus principle is that I feel dehydrated. I feel more hot and brittle in my psyche, and I also feel quicker or more reactive in my emotional movements towards, quote, material reality, other people and other things. This likely has to do with my Venus being in a water sign. And when it is not being nurtured in a watery kind of way, a lot of my chart gets dehydrated because I have a lot of fire in there too. So for those of you who follow your charts and you know your dominant elements, and you've been looking at this a while, notice where your Venus is at and what element it's in, and then notice the rest of your elemental balance. And can you identify when you are not feeding your desires and wants, or you're not really going for what's truly on your heart? What are some of the qualities that you feel in yourself? You know, for some, it may be flattened and confused or spun out and, um, and anxious. So when you're not doing or stewarding your own Venus, what do you feel and how do you feel that? A Venus in Cancer desires nurturance and stewarding. It desires and values connection and lineage with relationships. It is a relational Venus. In some sense, all Venuses are relational, but this Cancerian Venus is very aware of the undercurrents of connection and emotion 
It values the kind of secure emotional bonds with others, the way that relationship provides bonding. This may be through actual ancestry or family or through creating one's own chosen family. A Venus in Cancer finds value in security, which can extend to one's home or living environment. So remember back to the crab? There's often a love and connection with the concept of home and homing, and this is certainly tied in with feelings or emotions. For example, a Venus in Cancer may feel emotionally centered when the home environment feels secure and cozy. And conversely, emotions and security may go hand in hand for this Venus. A Venus in Cancer may have desire around stewarding a lineage of something. This may be in parenting or a family or being a spiritual parent or even stewarding another kind of life like a piece of land that will nourish bonds of life through time. There is much sensitivity to this Venus in Cancer that is so connected with nurturing and understanding the undercurrents, it is a watery Venus, that it can be very sensitive also to non-nourishing spaces, easily emotionally threatened, and having to continually assess and ask questions around security. Where does a feeling of security actually come from? If you have a Venus in Cancer, what of this rings true for you? And what else would you add or delete to this? If you have a Venus in Cancer or know someone who does, then what would you get them as a gift? Or how would you support them or gift them, knowing what you know about water and about some themes of Venus in Cancer? Another question to ask is, if you've got this Venus in Cancer, then how would you open to receive a gift? Bringing the crab back to mind, this crab approaches things indirectly. And if you've ever walked towards a crab or, you know, they, they kind of scurry away. So a direct approaching to yourself or someone else with a Venus in Cancer isn't always the most appropriate way to show your affection or to gift someone. This Venus is connected with security. So it's a really wonderful question to ask you or your loved one, when, where, and with whom do you feel comfortable and safe to share your home or to open? And what makes you kind of scurry or go in the other direction? And it doesn't even have to be a negative thing that you're running away from. It's just that there are, there are ways into situations that aren't always the direct way in. And we have to know if we're a person who is, um, really appreciative of those non-direct, maybe non-verbal ways into connection, because not everything has to be said and not everything has to be direct. All this is going to depend on many factors in our chart, including our upbringing and beliefs around safety and security. So try to get really neutral around the word security. When we think of security, it can get sometimes a negative connotation, like um, all security is based in fear. And I, I think we need to erase that and realize that being aware of security and uh, feeling self-secure and being secure in one's psychology and in one's home can come from a place of agency. It's not always a defensive response. We all get a chance to work with our Cancerian placements and the Cancer house in our chart, remember. So in that part of our chart, security may be something that we have to really think about. 
So thinking of security and promoting this, could you think of a gift or a gesture that you could give yourself or someone else? If you have a Venus in Cancer or someone close to you does, notice when you catch a glimpse of them relaxing and opening up their shell a little bit and support that. Think about security. So maybe that means augmenting the feeling of coziness with things like a weighted blanket or a sun lamp, big fluffy sweaters, a comfy new chair or bean bag. So offering something for coziness and comfort for the home is probably a good bet. And this might even be a book about those themes of coziness, uh, a cookbook. You can also just think in general around homingness and home and how that sense of security and coziness is connected with internal or emotional states. Another word to play in with is lineage or family. So your Cancerian Venus may have a desire or a love for the past or nostalgia or the history of something. And this could be in your family line, but this could also be, I don't know, the history of train stations or the lineage of, um, you know, I, I particularly like old architecture. So that might be something that you can tap into somebody with of noticing what is that topic of thing that they're, they're connected with over time. And if it is ancestry, there's a lot of things that you could gift. Um, I've recently been working with the, the program story worth to collect my grandpa's stories. And it's a way to connect with the past and preserve it forward. So any acts of preservation or taking old movies or um, a relative's old photographs and repurposing them in the present to preserve them from the future is something you could really think about, especially through family, or this might even be within a person's lifetime, collecting things of childhood and right now and hopes for the future. So you're playing into that idea of lineage and history. And there's a lot of great gifts out there for yourself or for someone else. You can really indulge in that idea of continuity. And finally, a word that we've talked about a lot during this podcast is stewardship. And you could put nurturance by this, but I think sometimes nurturance gets projected in, in a, you know, almost seen as a gendered sort of term, even though it isn't. Nurturance is, is a human uh, capability. It's not an assigned role to gender. But stewardship is something that we can look at in the realm of humans or land or uh, stewarding, I don't know, an aquarium. So stewardship is something to care for. And caring can come in the realm of people, like I said, but it can also be caring for a collection of something or caring for, you know, I think of beautiful artwork or or fabric or something that you're bringing from the past into the present and hope to preserve for the future. Stewardship is taking care or nurturing something and, and um, holding it in a place of honor and remembering it. So stewardship might actually come in the form of, of creating something or noticing what you collect and what you tend to dote on or steward. It could be plants, it could be pets and, and gift around that. So what are some tools that help this stewardship? Is it adding something new to the collection? Is it bringing a tool in? Is it bringing consciousness in around this collection or this family or this life that you're wanting to nurture? 
So tools around that are just some awareness around that, that desire to steward in oneself or someone else. And if it is somebody else, ask questions around these themes of security and stewardship and lineage. And that might be a gift in itself. And see if those themes are true for you or someone else and just have a dialogue around it or or write those words in a journal and see if they speak to you and continue your own stewardship and your own giving back to Venus and that life that is just waiting to sort of be discovered and stewarded by you and your awareness. Okay, well, have fun with this and I'll see you next time. Until next time, breathe deep, linger long.